When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the PitcherList podcast network. I'm your host, Pete Ball, joined as always by Chad Young. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. We love to read what you guys have to say in one of those reviews. Feel free to include a question. We could definitely get to your questions. Follow me at at Pete B Baseball, follow Chad at at Chad Young, and follow the podcast at at Keeper Cut. And as I'm saying that, Chad, it reminded me that I said last episode or the episode before that I was going to start using Twitter more and I think I failed. So uh, I'm going to say it this time. I'm going to try again harder this time. That's, uh, you know, just keep <laughs> reminding yourself maybe one of these weeks it'll actually happen. Yeah, I maybe I got to sit down on like a Monday and just schedule seven tweets, one for every day. Maybe that's what I'll do. Anyway, it's episode 107. Uh, and that means we're, we're talking about number seven. There's some good players who wear number seven. To me, there's an obvious choice here, um, although there's two decent runner-ups. There's an obvious choice and two decent runner-ups, you think? Yeah, I'm going to push I you th- further okay. than two, I suspect. Because, I mean, really? the, obvious, the obvious choice is, is I mean, there is, a, there is a player in Major League history associated with the number seven, and that's Mickey Mantle. Right. Right. I, I think uh, e- even... Even though you're a Red Sox fan, I know you can appreciate that, you know, seven is, is Mickey. I guess sure. I mean, I'm looking now, I maybe maybe I'm not going to push you further than that because the guy I want to mention, so I'm, I'm as always looking at the, you know, list of career war among players who wore a certain number. And as we, we were talking about this before the show started, the highest career war for a player who wore the number seven is not Mickey Mantle. It's Barry Bonds, because Barry Bonds apparently wore the number seven in 1986 with the Pirates for one season. Um, obviously not the number he is <laughs> thought of as wearing. So this is that's not his episode. But then you got Mantle, who wore it for 18 seasons. And then the next two guys who really wore it for a significant amount of time are our Pudge Rodriguez, who wore it for 21 years, you know, mostly with the Rangers, but also in his trailing years with a bunch of other teams. Um, and then the guy that I, I think needs to be mentioned, it's important that he's mentioned because he, you know, the other two are Hall of Famers and he should be a Hall of Famer. And it's a shame that he's not. And that's Kenny Lofton. Uh, I knew you were going to go with the Guardian there. <laughs> he was, I mean, he he is fifth all time. In, in reference war among players who wore the number seven. And that includes Bonds being first for one season of seven and Eddie Matthews, who worked for two seasons, being second. Um, among players who really, you know, should be associated with the number, it's Mantle, Yvonne Rodriguez, and Lofton is third. And above yeah, Craig Biggio. Yeah, Biggio, uh, career 
Arwar of 65.4, Lofton is 68.4. Basically a full, like, good season more. I mean, it's... And it's not like that's just because Lofton played longer. Lofton did play forever, but Biggio played for like 20 years too. So it's it's not a longevity thing. Um, Lofton just, he gets glossed over. He was, he had in, put up incredible on base percentages. He, he played some of the best center field defense you'll ever see. And he got completely screwed over by the voters. So, you know, 75 good work voters. Yeesh. Yeah. Yeah, they tend to get things Honestly, wrong sometimes. I didn't even mention the running because I'm like, yeah, you know, stolen bases. We have we have we've come to think of stolen bases as fun, but not necessarily that valuable. And so, fine, I'll I, I'll 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 let those go a little bit. But like, you don't even need the stolen bases to make the case for Lofton. You can make the case for Lofton without the stolen bases, and he's one of the all time great base stealers. Hey, 17 career seasons. I know people don't like batting average, but a 299 batting average after 17 seasons. That's yeah. that's pretty good, man. That's a th- yep. almost a thousand plate appearances. Um, I'm sorry, way more than a thousand. It should be. I would hope he had more almost than 10,000. Yeah, almost 10,000. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we did something different for this episode. Uh, we, were, we were thinking, all right, all-star break. Well, what about fantasy all-stars and how does that relate to our specific podcast well to chad and i a fantasy all-star for a keeper league would be someone who has exceeded expectations and now we can keep them for what is probably a pretty cheap cost be it round value or dollar value in your auction and ought new formats um and so chad and i went back and forth we did a snake draft um i had the first pick did i have the first pick you did i did yeah All right, I had the first pick, um, and then we went back-to-back picks like a snake. Um, We filled the positions of catcher, corner infielder, middle infielder, outfielder, starting pitcher, and relief pitcher, just one for each of those spots. Um, Some of these positions were thin. Some of them, (laughs) it was really hard to make a decision because there were were several names that I really liked. Um, But Chad, you know, initial impressions after after this five-minute draft we had this morning? Yeah, I mean, I think the it was it was a little challenging because we did we set a couple other ground rules for ourselves. I mean, in terms of sort of like you know we talked about like this isn't about second half value, so I don't think either of us actually took anyone who the second half like I don't know we didn't take anyone injured or anything like that where the second half matters. But in theory, somebody could do literally nothing in the second half, but if we believe they're a good long term keeper, that's that's what matters here. But we did set a restriction that we wanted to avoid rookies. Just to avoid the like, oh, Ellie De La Cruz didn't have a real high draft pick and now he's a keeper. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what happens when rookies break out. Everyone knows that. Um, we'll probably talk about breakout rookies at some point in the second half of the season. But the goal here was to try to come up with some names of players who aren't those breakout rookies, are, are veterans, uh, at least at some level veterans, who have established a new level, I think. Um, and I, I'm like, I'm looking at these, this list of names and like, I, I wish I had more of all of these guys. <laughs> that That's my yeah. initial impression is like, if I had rosters just chock full of these guys, I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, so let, let, let's dive into it. 
I'll lead things off. I did have the first pick, um, like Chad clarified there. Um, and I took Mitch Keller. I wanted to get my starting pitcher out of the way, which, I mean, draft strategy-wise may have been a mistake. I think starting pitcher is probably one of the deepest spots to pull from for this with names like Tyler Wells, Nate Evaldi, um, maybe not Nate Evaldi given his age, but the guy you picked, who I won't, I won't spoil, certainly would have been on my radar as well. Um, but I went with Mitch Keller. Uh, Keller was starting to maybe give us a little bit of pause. I don't know. I feel like I've been waiting for the second shoe to drop with him. Um, we had a few weeks ago against Milwaukee, he gave up four earned runs with three walks through five innings. Then he bounced back pretty nice against Miami and San Diego. And then he got shelled again by the Dodgers, eight hits in five innings with a walk four earned runs. It's like, man, this stinks. Like I hope, I hope Mitch Keller's not coming back down to earth, but he bounced right back against Arizona. Um, the other day, actually the eighth, I don't know if that was Friday. I have no idea. Um, seven innings, one Saturday, Saturday, the eighth, (laughs) Saturday, the eighth, seven innings, one hit against Arizona, who's a pretty surprisingly good offense. And so, um, this has now been a full half of a season for, for Mitch Keller breaking out. Uh, you know, the, the swinging strike rate is still not where I would like to see it. So for reference last season, when he was terrible, he had an 8.7% swing strike rate this season's it's at 8.8%. Um, but nevertheless, Mitch Keller has made some, some real changes this year. And if you look at the ERA estimators, they pretty much all back up what he has been doing. Um, so Chad, when I made the pick, you said, Oh, nice pick. What are your thoughts here? Other than nice pick. Honestly, that's that's sort of it. Like, that's just it's it's a good solid pick. It's it's exactly like if you ask someone, if you ask any fantasy player in keeper leagues, like, hey, who's a pitcher that has like changed their value that you think is gonna have great keeper value next year? Like, Keller's gonna be one of the first people they mention, and he's like, you know, he showed us in in his rookie year. You know, he made 11 starts. It was only 48 innings, but like the strikeout rate was good. The walk rate was good. Like everything looked pretty good. And then he sort of lost all of that for a while. It was sort of, you know, wandering in the desert for his 40 years. And now strikeout rate back up right around where it was that rookie year. Walk rate down exactly where it was that rookie year. And he's also getting a lot more ground balls than he did at that time. Um, I, I think if you, you know, Maybe there's some stuff to to nitpick a little bit. I you know, I just don't know what it what it would be. Like the barrel rates up a little bit from the last versus the last couple of years, but like his his stat cast XERA is still great. So like that's obviously not that much of an issue. Uh, and, and it may be the kind of thing where like you know some guys, if you work too hard to avoid giving up contact, you you lose the ability to just like miss bats entirely, right? Like if your your focus is on like oh don't let them hit the ball hard, it's like. There are plenty of pitchers out there. Like Shane Bieber comes to mind. He hasn't been great this year, but he comes to mind as a guy who like when he gave up contact, he gave up hard contact. He did it a lot, but you live with that when you pitch as well as he does, when you avoid the walks like he does. And I think that's, that's sort of the, the route Keller seems to be going this year. And I like seeing it. You're right. He had that little stretch. Like he basically had like four, three straight sort of rough starts at the end of May into June. And then, yeah, it's been hot and cold. Like every pitcher has some stinkers. The fact that really he hasn't had very many and, you know, like he gave up four runs, five runs, four of them earned at LA. Okay. The Dodgers got to him. He's not alone in that, right? That's, that's fine. So I, I like what I'm seeing. I sort of like, 
I like that he went through that rough patch. That rough patch we're talking about really was, you know, from May 26th. Yeah, May 26th, he gave up six runs in six innings at Seattle. Next start, four runs in six innings at San Francisco. Five runs in five and a third innings against Oakland. And now you're starting to like, I don't know, I would be getting antsy if I had him on my roster at that point. Then he bounced back, gave up a run over seven against the Mets. Then he had another rough outing at Milwaukee. And it's then since then, it's been mostly good, except for that start at the Dodgers. And, you know, you'll live with that. I think that the last start, the one hit in seven innings against Arizona, you do have to call out four strikeouts and five walks in that start is a little concerning. But I, I actually sort of like that he went through this rough patch and seems to be getting through it and bouncing back because you knew that was going to happen. He wasn't going to just be you know perfect for the rest of his career. And so it's nice to see that he's able to handle it and recover from it and and get back to being the the breakout he looks like he is. And, you know... This isn't a case where sometimes you look at a guy who had a rough patch. And you're like, well, except for that rough patch, look how good his season is. Like, that's not what this is. This is like with the rough patch baked in, everything looks really good. So, yeah, I love this pick. He cost, like, if you drafted him, you drafted him for basically nothing. His NFBC ADP was 410. And, I mean, goodness, like, where is he? I pulled up some numbers from the Rasball Player Raider earlier today. Let me just find this. He is 38th on the Rasball player rater. Not the 38th pitcher. He is 38th overall. I, I'm just, it's, you, you got incredible value for him. And he just looks like a guy who in his age 27 season has found it. Yeah, the, the the constant battle we have, particularly in this podcast, with figuring out that that ADP for keeper leagues is that, yeah, okay, you know, NFBC is not, does not have keeper leagues, right? So we're using a, a flawed ADP. But the point of ruling out rookies, as Chad said at the beginning, is that we're kind of accounting for the fact that like there there are ADP differences, right, in keeper leagues versus um, redraft. And Mitch Keller, what even if he was in your keeper leagues, like he was in my keeper league, and his ADP was pretty much in line with what NFBC says. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that manager is going to keep him for free. And by the way, the big change for him is is I, I didn't want to say the wrong pitch. It's the cutter. Um, he's included a cutter this year. He's basically gone from a four pitch pitcher to a five pitch pitcher, almost like a like you Darvish, uh, minus the strikeouts, obviously, and and it's working for him. So Chad, you then went back to back, and uh, if I could do it all over again, I may have taken this player first because this position just didn't, and it's not going to surprise anybody. This position did not have it's a lot of value on yeah. the keeper markets. No, there so, are, go ahead. There are two names. There are literally two names that are. That look like interesting. So maybe I did the right keepers. thing then because I got the second one with my last pick. Well, so so <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that guy later. I took Jonah Heim and Jonah Heim ADP was around 236 and he's been obviously way better than that. Uh, let's see if I can find his Rasball player Raider ranking is 69th overall so far. That's pretty good for a catcher. The difference between him and the other catcher we'll talk about later, and the reason I, I did decide he, he is not the most exciting player I took, but I decided to take him here, was because the other catcher, while he is a keeper, the keeper value just isn't that high because he wasn't cheap in drafts to begin with. But Heim, I mean, this is a guy, like I, I think unlike Keller, Keller was a little bit of like a dart throw for people. Heim was a guy that I think a lot of people out there were high on going into the season. And I, I was intrigued by him, but I, I won't claim to have been 
sort of super in on him. But this year, I mean, he's he's looked great. And I think that the one pause I have is that when you dig in and try to explain why he looks great, like his strikeout rate is down. That, that obviously matters a lot. It was 19.3 last year, 17.7% this year. But his walk rate is also down from 9.1 to 7.6. That is still very good plate discipline, especially for a catcher. You go look at his stat cast data, though, and his exit velocity is basically the same. His launch angle is up a little. His barrel rate is up, but his hard hit rate is down. And so there's a little bit of a like, I don't know how sustainable that increased barrel rate is. And what it really comes down to for him at the end of the day, what has made the big difference is his line drive rate. So his home run per fly ball rate sort of in line with where it's been. His fly ball rate sort of in line where it's where, with its bit where it's been. His line drive rate, his first three years in the league, seventeen point one percent, eighteen point one percent, seventeen point five percent. This year it's twenty three point three percent. That has then corresponded with his BAPIP, which coming into this season his career BAPIP was two thirty three. This year it is three thirteen. Now, there's nothing about a 23.3% line drive rate or a 313 BAPIP that is inherently unsustainable, right? There's nothing you look at that you're like, what? Nobody, you know, this isn't a guy who's like hitting 30% line drives with a 450 BAPIP. Like, that's not what's happening here. But those are big jumps in statistics that we know are not, they don't stabilize quickly. We, we, they're not things you want to be relying on. And the reality is with Heim right now, that's what you're doing. Buying in on Heim right now is saying, I think he's going to keep up this line drive rate. And as a result, he's going to keep up this bat Because if he doesn't, there's nothing else keeping him where he is versus where he was last year or the year before. I think a lot of it has to do with that offense too. I mean, that like that's true. A big, a huge reason for his fantasy value and where he is in rankings and everything is because he's what, like third or fourth in the American League in RBI. I mean, I, yeah, I, I like nine RBI. I like him, obviously, but he is clearly a and and who knows, he's probably going to be in that same very good Texas Rangers lineup next year. So it's not to like take away from it going forward, but it's acknowledging that the skills might not align with what you see at the surface. Yeah, and, and I I think there is some risk here. I think the reality is the reason I'm happy to take him is his Free. draft cost was low enough that he at catcher I don't care if he if I if he regresses I don't care if the second half like if that line drive rate comes down and the RBIs don't don't pile up quite as high there's plenty of room for him to regress and still be worth his draft cost and I, I do think he's going to regress I don't think he will keep up what he's doing because I think there will be some drop off in that line drive rate um he is he is 13th in MLB in RBI and there are only one, two, three, four American League players ahead of him. One of them is his teammate, Adelise Garcia, who leads all of baseball with 75. Shohei Otani, Rafi Devers, Josh Naylor. Those are the entire list of American Leaguers with more RBI than him. Um, so I just, I don't think he can necessarily keep this up. But at the end of the day, he just, he doesn't have to. He could fall a right. hundred slots in the player Raider and he'd still be a like six round keeper value based on ADP. So especially yeah, if that, that that's what it comes down to with him. Right. Especially that's the thing. That it's, it's the position, right? And it, the position has been so ugly 
Uh, even uglier than I think I expected it to be. There's a bunch of guys who I thought would be good who just haven't. So I'm, I'm, if you've got Heim in the keeper league and you can just be like, forget it. I'm not worrying about catcher next year. That's a great place to be. So I was in that position uh, until today. We're in keeper cut listener league two. I traded away a free Jonah Himes. I picked him up at the beginning of the year off of waivers to move up. I think it was 10 or 11 rounds. I think I got an eighth rounder for him and I traded away him in a 19th, which I mean, you know, the way I operate, I, he's, he's not as young as you might think like, yeah, he's a late bloomer here. He's going to turn 29 at the beginning of next season, which is close to that, like cutoff date for me and catchers. Um, so I felt comfortable making that move, but I totally understand just sitting on a, you know, 28th round or whatever it is, Jonah Heim and, and, and riding that into next season. Um, so with your next pick, Chad, you uh, took a closer, which is very unchad like, but this is another position that it's a little, a little thin for keeper options. Yeah. And for you and me, we probably wouldn't keep these guys anyway. No, that, that's the thing. It's like you say it's unchad like, but like the rules of the draft were that I had to take a reliever. So it's <laughs> I had true. to take, you a have to take one at some point. It's you got to so, take one. I, I went with Alexis Diaz and, and this is it. This was my, my strategy early in this draft was go get the two positions that I hate where there are no good options and get guys, get guys I'm excited about. And I, I'm legit excited about Alexis Diaz. Like I, I was excited about him last year and I was like a little concerned because the walk rate was kind of high. And I was like, eh, I don't know just how sustainable this will be. And the walk rate really hasn't come down a ton. It was 12.9% last year. It's 11.7% this year. That is down. That's a nice improvement. It's still a problem. But his strikeout rate went from 32.5% to 37.4%. And like, you know what? You're going to strike out that many dudes? Then walk a couple guys here and there. It's all right. <laughs> It'll be fine. Uh, that's good. On top of that, his home run per fly ball rate. And I don't know. I don't know how sustainable this is. His career home run per fly ball rate is 6.1%. It's 3.7% this year. But his last two years in the minors, which were 2021 and 2019, because he missed the 2020 season, and then he jumped straight to the bigs last year. It was 6.6%, 5.6%. He's very consistently in the minors carried a low home run per fly ball rate. I think he just, I think he just suppresses power. And especially given the park he has to pitch in, that's a that's a really, really useful skill. He also, by the way, the, the, the big improvement in strikeout rate this year, his fastball velocity is down a mile per hour. And he's gotten that improvement. So I I'm I'm really impressed. I, I think I, I had I had lots of questions last year. He is answering them. And now, instead of being like his part of what suppressed his draft draft value this year was he was maybe the closer. We weren't sure that was part of it. And the other part of it was he was maybe the closer for a terrible baseball team, just an awful team. And uh, the reds are not awful, not at all. And they're only getting better and they're only going to continue to get better. And so now all of a sudden he is locked in as the closer for a really good team. Certainly good enough to rack up enough saves. Like he's at 26 saves already. Like he has a he is going to have a 40 save season and he has an outside shot at a 50 save season the way this team plays right now. And yeah. and then he's striking out everybody in the way on the way. Like, yeah. Awesome, awesome value. His ADP 
was 150, but he, next year he goes in the elite closer tier. Like I think in yeah. drafts next year, he's going where like guys like Hader and Liam Hendricks are going this year. He has to be in that that area, especially since some guys that were in that spot have now kind of faltered off a little yeah. bit. Um, we might talk about some of those a little bit later when we talk about my pick for reliever, not that he's one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked about the power suppression, which for great American ballpark and specifically is, is going to be very important. I mean, that fastball is disgusting. It's got a whiff rate of, of 33.1%. He's given up no home runs on that. He's only given up one home run all season and it came on his slider, which by the way, he's using more and yet has been just as effective as it was last season. So, uh, no, I, I love the pick. I think me with closers and keeper leagues in a rotisserie league, if I have one on a severe discount, or it's not the right word, if I have one like a dramatic discount, then I will absolutely keep them. I did that in Listener League 1 with both Camilo Duvall and Devin Williams, and that's worked out great. If I have them at pretty much face value, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, for the sake of this exercise, though, like Chad said, we both had to take them. So uh, my next pick was a guy who I just can't get right. Uh, we talked about him recently, so I might need, not need to spend too much time on him. Uh, and that's Cattell Marte. He had an ADP going into the season on NFBC of 199. So he was a fringe top 200 player, and he has absolutely produced like one so far this season. Cattell Marte, 15 home runs, 62 runs, 44 RBI, six stolen bases. So he's back to chipping in there with a 286 average, the OPS up around 850. He's cut down the strikeout rate, which by the way, he did not need to do because he always, always, always has an excellent strikeout rate. Um, but he's also maintained that good walk rate near double digit walk rate. Everything looks good, um, both under the hood and on the surface for Cattell Marte. So if you were able to take advantage of the fact that uh, he was going a little bit late this season in your keeper leagues or in your new leagues, you're most likely keeping him going into next season. But do keep in mind what we've talked about before, where this guy is the definition of like every other season, he performs terribly. Um, hopefully, this is a great season for him. He finishes strong and he maintains that going forward. I think this is probably the best lineup he has played in at least in a very long time with Corbin Carroll, with Christian Walker, who finally seems to have hit a groove in terms of fantasy consistency. So uh could tell Marte for me at uh middle infield. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is both an obvious pick and a scary one. I, I, for all the reasons you said, right. It's like he was so inexpensive. He's been so good. And, and I think it's worth noting, like, He's been not, I mean, it's not just like, oh, he bounced back a little bit. Like he's been absolutely incredible this year. And yeah, I just don't know. I mean, to give, give a sense of this other than the 2019 rabbit ball year, when he hit 32 home runs, the 15 he has this year are already a career high. Mm. Right. So he is, he is having a great season and it's, you know, the interesting thing is I sort of expect him to be a hot commodity on the trade market this offseason because I think there's going to be a handful of people who drafted him who are like, man, he is a great keeper value, but I'm kind of scared. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about him. And, and we'll have to see how that plays out. But like, yeah, if you have him at that at the price you drafted him, you're, you're keeping him. You have to. He's He's just been that good. And part of the reason people might be scared is not just the inconsistency, but, you know, we're talking keeper league. So I'm going to continue to bring up the age before next season starts before opening day. He will turn 30 years old, which 
by no means is like some death sentence for baseball players. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of great seasons after the age of 30. But for a guy who, you know, really has to get a hold of them, um, who who we're a little bit reliant on with speed here and there, depending on what season it was, uh, those things may begin to slip a little bit for Cattell Marte. So uh, before we get into my second pick of this uh, back-to-back for me, before we get into my uh, third pick overall, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back, folks. And Chad, as we were going through those first four names there, Mitch Keller, Jonah Heim, Cattell uh, Marte, and your Alexis Diaz got me thinking again of the underdog sports promo uh, that, that we're going through here. So uh, underdog sports has the seventh inning stretch program that we're encouraging you guys to participate in. As a reminder, if you sign up with underdog sports, you use the promo code PitcherList all capital letters. They will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars and you can take some of that money and participate in the seventh inning stretch program. But folks, the clock is ticking. You need to enroll in this by Friday, July 14th. So don't forget that promo code PitcherList. And anyway, the connection, Chad, to our show is we've gone through those four names. I'm excited about those four names. Of those four names, who would you be most interested in taking for this underdog sports seventh inning stretch? Boy, it's an interesting one. I wonder if there's like, if they have ADP on here. Because... <laughs> It really does. It is an ADP question. I don't see any any obvious way to find ADP, but in a vacuum, second half. Yeah, I, I think I'll say this. I think the answer is not Heim, because as we talked about, I expect some regression there. My guess is he's going just too early for me to want to take him there. Mm. Um, it it might be Diaz because in these sort of in these formats where winning every point matters and I'm trying to look at the scoring again. Well, no, you, you don't need relievers. It's not DS. So I, I, it's a good thing. You look at the rules. This is why you look at the rules, folks. The pitcher stats are wins, strikeouts, giving up. So you get five points for a win, three for a strikeout. You lose three for an earned run. You get five for a quality start and you get three for an inning pitched and you need three pitchers in your lineup. You do mm. not need a reliever. So the two guys I picked, Heim <laughs> and Diaz, uh, they're not the guys I would take. You also, by the way, three outfielders, three infielders and a flex. 
So you don't need a catcher either. So I'm I'm out. I have no. I, I've got all the wrong guys here. It's one of your <laughs> two. It's it's probably Marte, but it might be Keller because Keller's also gone seven innings pretty often. And when I was innings say, and quality starts matter. That 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 makes him even more valuable than he is right. in five by five. Yeah, the first two pitching cats he gave their strikeouts and wins. I was like, yeah, well, Mitch Keller's out. But then you know, innings pitched and uh, quality starts. All of a sudden, I'm back in on Mitch Keller. So folks, remember use the promo code PitcherList, all capital letters, one word. They'll match. Underdog will match your first deposit up to $100. Remember, you must be 18 years or older, 19 in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona. In present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates, terms do apply. If you're concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, you can call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Getting back into our draft that Chad and I were doing here, as a reminder, we were looking at ADPs on NFBC and deciding what players look like they might be at some serious keeper value um, for folks who took them at their ADPs in their keeper league drafts. And we just got through my last pick, which could tell Marte, and that takes me to my favorite pick of this draft because even though it was tough because there's a lot of options in outfield, I ended up going with a Red Sox, Jaron Duran, who has had his ups and downs so far in his major league career and has certainly had his ups and downs this season as well. Um, but he, at this very moment in time, looks absolutely positively locked in. Um, he's cemented himself in that Red Sox lineup. If you look at the inconsistent playing time, I think it's more unfortunately it was a little bit of, all right, we need to get Duvall some looks here. We need to make sure Turner's in the lineup because we might need to trade these guys. And there were a lot of players that were just simply hot. So Duran had to sit a little bit, but it's gotten to the point, and Alex Cora tell you as much, that Jaron Duran just has to play every day. Um, he's already swiped 17 bags. He's hitting 320, 320. The expected batting average doesn't look quite as good, but but Duran can defy that. He can hit balls in the ground. He's got a ridiculous amount of speed. He's provided some pop with five home runs, and definitely if you look at the OPS and the slugging, the OPS is up around 886. Jan Duran is 26 years old, and his ADP going into this season was 672. Most managers not new probably have him for a buck. Um, I know I have him on free keeper contracts in several keeper leagues. Very excited to have the potential power, but definite speed that Jaron Duran brings to my fantasy outfields going forward. Chad, what do we think of Jaron Duran here? I like this pick, and I, I think I'm I have some regrets on Duran because you know he went through a uh, a swoon, very much a swoon, <laughs> a few weeks ago, and like if you look at a rolling woba graph for him, he like he came out. You know, on fire, his his 15 game rolling woba jumped up as high as almost 500, the high 400s for for a meaningful period of time, and then dropped well below 200 down to almost 100. And when it dropped that much, it completely coincided with his strikeout rate, which had been hovering early in the season around sort of 20 to 25 percent. It jumped that rolling strikeout rate jumped up to like 40 percent, over 40 percent, right around the same time that the Woba cratered. Um, that's not a coincidence, obviously like that's, those are very related things. But for me at that time, I was just like, eh, he's back to just way too many strikeouts. This is never going to work for him. And 
now it's all turned around. The strikeout rate's going back down and the Woba's come back up. And what's what's interesting is I can't really get a clear sense of what in his profile changed other than the strikeouts going up. There's a little bit of a drop in his zone swing rate. Um, So maybe he was taking too many strikes because there wasn't really a meaningful increase in his chase rate. If anything, the last couple weeks, his chase rate's been going up, 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 and it's coincided with lower strikeout rates and, and better WOBA. I don't know how sustainable that is, but like that isn't that isn't what the issue was when things fell apart for him. So I'm not really sure what drove that issue, and that that is a little concerning to me. But the fact that again, sort of like talking with Keller, the league adjusted or he something changed, something was going wrong, and he found a way to get that swing back, and like that's great to see. Yeah, he so he was a guy we talked about a little bit before the season started, and uh, folks may recall we talked about a swing change that he made going into the season um, where basically he wanted his hands to be closer to where he's going to start a swing. Uh, it, so it was all, it was all pre-swing pre-motion. Um, and so that, that's what comes to mind for me. The other thing is just sort of what you said, right? These players adjust and it's important for guys who had as much minor league success as Jan Duran did. And there are plenty of players like him that we don't give up on them too quickly um, because it could come back to bite you. So finally we get back to uh, your picks chat after my Marte Duran back to back and we get a guardian. Of course. Although, to be fair, I took a Guardian and a Red Sox. So I didn't even take you know, a Guardian. So I, no. I didn't have the uh, the olive branch there. No, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> but this Guardian, this isn't just uh, this. I don't think it's just me being a homer. No, this is a guy who I'm very excited about. And that is Josh Naylor. Naylor this year. So there's a couple of things going on here that I really like. First of all, Naylor has always been a guy who keeps strikeouts down. Um, he's never been a super high walk guy, and so he's still not that. But strikeouts, again, just 16.3%. He makes contact at a very high rate, and that's very good. He's also been a guy who makes hard contact. He's put up max EVs 114.7 two years ago, 113 last year. It was 115.1 his rookie year with San Diego back in 2019. He is getting into that hard contact more often, though. His hard hit rate has increased to 44%. It had never been above 42.5. And his barrel rate is a career high 8.9% as well, all of which has led to an ex-WOBA that is a career high 352. So that like that 348 WOBA, which is also a career high, like it's all following a trajectory of he's getting into his hard contact more often, which has always been sort of the, the question that I think Cleveland fans have had has been this like, Okay, this guy crushes the ball. He he doesn't strike out very often, but he's got to crush the ball like a little bit more often. And he needs to hit more fly balls. And his fly ball rate, which coming into this season, his fly ball rate for his career was 31.5%. It's 37.5% this year. His home run per fly ball rate is actually down from last year. It's sort of around a little lower than his career average which I think is sort of a positive sign. So there's some positive regression coming on that home run per fly ball rate. But the increase in fly ball rates is allowing him to, to be on pace for maybe a career high in home runs. He hit 20 last year. He's at 11 right now. I think he's going to get over that 20 this year. The other thing that's really helping him that I think is a very, very positive sign is for his career, 
Naylor has had big issues facing left-handed hitters. His WRC plus against lefties this year is 105, and it is over 130 in May and June. If he can hit lefties like that and stop being a guy you have to platoon, uh, it's going to be a huge, huge shift to his value. And he's he is making it's like, you know, you always talk about guys where you're like, oh, if you could just do the this more, if you could just do this more, if you could just do this less. Like there were three things with Naylor. Get into your hard contact more often, hit more fly balls, stop being terrible against lefties. And he's just sort of doing all of it all at once. So I, I'm very excited about Josh Naylor. Yeah, and at a position to first base, which it's been so much feast or famine. Um, that, that Naylor has been awesome. And I noticed the left-handed or versus left-handed pitcher stats as well. I mean, it's a limited sample so far the season of setting up 79 plate appearances, but assuming he's going to start playing against them even more. Well, he's at 64 RBI with just 79 plate appearances against lefties. So if he is going to start playing more against them and he has figured it out against lefties, like these could be some gaudy numbers. And this isn't like Jonah Heim where it's like, well, you know, he's smack dab in the middle of the most loaded lineup in the American League. It's not really Josh Naylor's case, and he's still posting these these figures, and you can laugh at batting average and RBI totals all you want. It's what counts for our our game here, mm-hmm. um, and, and Josh Naylor is tallying them up. So love the Naylor pick. That was an ADP of 220. I imagine he is going to be a keeper for a lot of people going into next seasons, and, and, and he'll get tabbed and uh, arbitration ought new quite a bit, I would imagine. Your next yeah. pick... Wouldn't surprise you. I like him a lot more. Uh, so tell us about Brian Bayo. <laughs> yeah, Brian Bayo. I mean, so Bayo's a fun one because in the offseason, in uh, Auto New League 13, the the Fangraphs staff league that you and I are both in, I, I co-manage with Niv Shah. And Niv and I were you know debating trades we were going to make in the offseason and what we're going to do. And Bayo was one of the guys on our team that we were we were going back and forth on, right? He had, you know, he had the 4.71 ERA last year. And yeah, the peripherals were good, but like even the XFIP wasn't great. Like it was like, we were sort of like not really sure what to make of him as, as is always the case with any young pitcher. And we made the decision that we were going to, we we just, we made a decision. We were taking a bet on Bayo and we basically stopped discussing trading him, anything like that. Cause he came up in trade talks and we were like, you know what? Now this is a bet we want to make and we're going to make this bet. And it's, it's paying off beautifully. So that's that's been great to see. the The positives here are last year he had some real issues with walks, and he's basically fixed those. Right, ten point one percent walk rate last year, six point five percent this year. His strikeout rate has gone up as well. And this is, I think, something that might surprise people. But this is one of those where, like, I've, I've talked about this. I don't know if I've talked about this in the show. I've talked about this in other contexts before. But one of the problems with strikeout per nine, K per nine, is a stat is it effectively rewards walks because a guy who walks doesn't get out and that's another opportunity to get a strikeout from someone else. And so Brian Bayo, 20.5% strikeouts last year, got him to 8.63 K per nine. His K per nine is down this year to 7.88, but his strikeout rate is up to 20.8%. It's not a huge jump, but I think in a lot of cases, people are looking at that K per nine and it looks like it's dropped quite a bit and it's it's hiding the fact that it's not really down. He's striking out more hitters than he did last year on a per plate appearance basis. He's just getting fewer plate appearances because he's not walking guys. So right. 
it's a, it's been a really positive season from that perspective. I, I really like what I'm seeing from him. Um, and he's still like, he's still only 24, barely 24, right? He turned 24 last month. So I, I I'm, I'm intrigued. I would like to see the strikeout rate carry up a little bit more than it has. I think he's got the stuff to do that, but yeah, that's where I am. But honestly, you, you probably have better thoughts on him than I do. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, I'm enjoying the breakout. I would like to see the, a, a few more whiffs. Um, he can certainly get them with a changeup. It's definitely a, a solid out pitch for him. Um, the slider just hasn't hasn't been there for him this season. And so I want to say it was his last outing against the Rangers. And I'm trying to bring it up right now where he ultimately just abandoned the slider relative to how he had been using it. I can't find it. I can't remember what to eat. But the usage on the slider, I believe, was down in his last outing. He's he's starting to go away from it a little bit more and more. You know what? It wasn't against the Rangers. It was the outing before. He actually brought it back a little bit against the Rangers and still pitched well. Whatever the case may be, um, he has a deep arsenal. He throws four pitches pretty regularly. Um, he's able to generate strikeouts in the zone. He's able to generate swings and misses in the zone, which is huge. Um, but he may be one of those guys who kind of actually does fit that bill of like early Shane Bieber actually to, to bring up early Shane Bieber again of like, Fair, yeah. it's okay. It's okay to walk a guy every now and then. Um, if it means you're going to, to get more outs now, Shane Bieber, when he had that problem, his rookie season, that also came with a, a higher ERA Bayo's like, you know, holding it down. And part of the reason for that is because he is absolutely elite at generating ground balls. Um, that ground ball rate is up it's got to be over 50 percent 56 percent so he is <laughs> almost everything is on the ground which when the defense is as bad as the red sox maybe you don't want that but he's gotten away with it um and he's he's simply looked great and the, the one thing you said at the beginning is his ability to go deep into outings um has been not only refreshing as a red sox fan but as a fantasy manager he's he's like mitch keller in that way i think these two have had a pretty similar first half so nice job with the brian bayo pick I took a much older player uh, in Yandy Diaz. Now, I did think that Yandy Diaz, um, as my corner infielder, was like an obvious pick, right? ADP 272. He's clearly having a tremendous season. Um, but I think we haven't looked under the hood in a while on, on Yandy Diaz. And, uh, you know, if you look at Yandy Diaz's stack cast sliders from this year, from last year, from 2019, whatever, they, they look incredible, right? It's a pretty easy generalization. You look at his pitcherless sliders, you know, look incredible. And the problem for Yandy has always been he hits it in the ground. And at the beginning of the season, when he had 10 home runs through like a month and a half or whatever it was, it was like, oh my God, Yandy Diaz fixed his launch angle. Yandy Diaz is breaking out. Here it is. Well, folks, it may surprise you to hear, I don't know, that his launch angle last season was 7.7 degrees. And at this point in time, this season is at 5.3 degrees is his launch angle. It's gone all the way back down. Um, his ground ball rate is higher than it was last season. It's up at 52.5%. That's actually higher than it was in 2021 as well. So I'm not I'm not saying like, oh man, never mind. Yandy's bad. No, because he's never been bad. He's actually been a very useful player. Um, and now similar to who we were talking about earlier in Cattell Marte, this is probably the best offense that Yandy Diaz has played in. Um, so I'm not I'm not cooling on Yandy Diaz, and I, I obviously took him in this. But the idea that he's maybe turning into like a 30-homer guy, this like super fantasy player, I don't think it's happening. The ground balls have come back. I think it's just who he is. I'm sure if you went to other random spurts in Yandy Diaz's career, you would find instances where for a month even, maybe the launch angle was up and the power looked great. 
but it happened this year at the beginning of the season. And it's all we had to go on. So we thought it was some massive breakout. I think it can both be that Yandy Diaz is having his best season and in a way is breaking out, but he's not necessarily turning this corner where he's like a monster power threat similar to what he looks like because he is obviously one of the most intimidating looking dudes in the league. Yeah, that he is. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think I, I sort of have some questions about, you know, he's his career high in home runs is 14. He's already at 13. He's I think gonna, he's going to pass. He's going to get past 14, <laughs> but he could end the year at like 17. Sure. And after that hot start, people will like I, I'm curious to see what happens to his draft value because his draft value has always stayed down because of this issue. And I, I it. It has to. It has to go up from where it was last year. Go get. He has to get more expensive, higher draft pick, earlier draft pick. Figure out the right way to say it eventually. But I, I wonder how much it's going to move up, just because I think at the end of the season that home run outbreak is going to be like people will recognize in September that he never actually got into that full home run outbreak the way we hoped. I, I'm. I am. My expectation is that despite that, people will be like, he was still really good. (laughs) And his it'll it'll push his draft value, honestly, just where it should have been already. Like this is like the guys that we've been talking about before this, Keller and Heim and Duran, like they were they were drafted where they should be drafted. Diaz was not drafted where he should have been drafted. His ADP of 272 is just wrong he should have been much more expensive than that and so i expect that next year he will be more expensive than that but not as expensive as he might have been if he had actually gotten to like 25 home runs which it just isn't going to happen it's probably not i think he'll still get pushed up in drafts even if he does finish with like 18 19 and maybe as low as 17 home runs just because those other five by five stats are going to be pushed up so much relative to where they've been in the past. I mean, he, he he could finish with, you know, 100 runs and 90 RBI. So even if he is only a 20 homer guy, the average is still going to look good. I think he's I think he's going to go much higher in drafts next season. But you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a single digit second half homer season at the at the very least. Yeah. So uh, let's get let's get your uh, or my second pick in. I should say this one should be yeah. quick. I wasn't super excited to make this pick. Um, it was between Carlos Estevez and David Bednar. And I think in keeper leagues, like, yeah, all right. I'd rather have David Bednar in a nutshell because he's much younger at the same time. David Bednar is much more expensive than Carlos Estevez. And that's just not really my style. And if you remember, Chad, I was like super in in, on Carlos Estevez before the season started. And I like, I kind of like backed into something here because he, he really hasn't been that amazing. I was, so here's some context. I was watching the angels game the other day and the all-star teams were being announced as I was watching the game. And it was announced that Emmanuel Classe made the all-star team and Carlos Estevez did not. And the Angels announcers were absolutely positively incensed. (laughs) They were (laughs) so mad. And Carlos Estevez was perfect in save opportunities. That game, he comes in, gets a save. You you know those announcers were all over that. They were so mad. And that was the same day that Emmanuel Classa gave up like a walk-off grand slam or whatever the heck it was. Um, it recently had like a four-earned run performance. Yeah. Like, Man, Carlos. So the moral of the story, Carlos Estevez has not blown a save. There was all this before the season. He was trying to throw strikes up the zone. He couldn't do it. He was walking everybody in spring training. People were like, why, why did they get this guy? I got to the point in draft where I was like, whoa. I, I may need to reel it in here. I have way too much of this guy, and he's probably garbage. 
but he's been awesome and he's getting strikeouts. The one thing that should stick out to folks is the whip, right? But I would caution you that like relief pitchers, they're one or two bad outings away from just looking terrible in the ratios. And like Carlos Estevez, despite the whip, has been able to convert all of his save opportunities and, and, and do all of this because he strikes batters out. Um, and he's done a great job of getting the strikeout. So does he have a ton of keeper value? Maybe just for next season, and I would keep him in Roto Leagues because he was so cheap. I mean, I can end this with his ADP was 333. It's pretty good for a closer considering how much those guys get pushed up in your Roto formats. Yeah, I, I would also note, like, he is still walking a ton of guys. Right? Yeah, his, the, whip. His walk the whip rate, is ugly. Yeah, he, he is... You know, I, I talked to when I took about my Diaz pick about how I was concerned because Diaz last year was walking 12% of guys and striking out 32%. And even though the walk rate only went down to 11%, the strikeout rate, strikeout rate jumped to 37 As for context, is walking 12.2% of hitters, which is similar to what Diaz was doing last year. He's striking out 29.3%. That's good, but it's lower than where Diaz was last year. And, and the result of that is his... Like his peripherals, his, his FIP, XFIP, Sierra, like none of it is very good for a closer. And so I do think there's some risk here. The, the number that really stands out to me is his left on base percentage is 90.9%. And so he has not blown a save. He has not given up more than one earned run in an appearance at any point this year. At some point, some of those inherited, run, not inherited runners, some of those runners he puts on, are going to not get stranded and there's going to be a correction coming. But yeah, it's uh, he's been, he's been impressive so far and he is, he is an all-star now, right? He got added when I'm pretty sure he got added when class a opted not to go, which, you know, maybe the, uh, Maybe the Angels announcers owe Emmanuel a <laughs> a, a, a an apology because yes, he was he was added in. Um, Class A is his. Uh, I want to say his wife, but I don't think it's actually his wife. It's his his partner, his his you know, significant other is having a apparently a difficult pregnancy uh, back in the, back home, and the I think the Dominican is where he's from, um, and he basically made the decision that being with her was more important than being at the all-star game, which is uh, a, a super commendable thing. Like I'm, I wish you were in the booth, <laughs> but like, <laughs> <would've> been... <laughs> yeah, well, but because of that, Estevez is an all-star and he's a deserving all-star and sure. The, the they reality were getting... <laughs> they were, well, I wish someone just asked them, of our like, Hey, would you trade Carlos Estevez for Emmanuel Classic? Like, do, would you like that Angels announcers? I bet they would say yes to that. <laughs> I bet they'd say yes to that. But yeah, the, the reality is Estevez is like, as long as he's still the closer there next year, which I don't see any real reason he wouldn't be, he's going to be a great keeper value. Yeah. So let's get into yours here. Uh, what A Chad favorite here in round five. Yes. This is a guy I was high on before the season. I am still high on him now. And he's just an nothing but make me happy. And that's Isaac Paredes of the Rays. He is my middle infield choice. Um, I honestly, like, I don't have a lot to say. He doesn't strike out a lot. He walks a ton. He hits for good power. His, like, almost everything looks good. The big, 
the big red flag with him is his ex-WOBA is 307 versus his 378 WOBA. And so you sort of wonder, like, the barrel rate's only 5.8%. The hard hit rate is only 29%. He's, despite that, has a 16.7% home run per fly ball rate. He also hits a ton of fly balls. The guy that he reminds me of a bit, and I, I am... I want to be careful about the class I'm putting him in because I'm not suggesting he is as good as this player or will continue to be as good as this player in perpetuity. But the guy he reminds me of a bit is Jose Ramirez in that Jose Ramirez always outperforms things like his ex-WOBA because he pulls the ball and he hits the ball in the air and he pulls the ball hard. And if you pull the ball hard, it leaves the ballpark. It doesn't have to go very far down the line to get out. And... Uh, Paredes has a 53.6% pull rate. So he is getting out in front of pitches and smashing them down the line. And as long as he keeps doing that, I think he can maintain that home run per fly ball rate. And the rest of this stuff is all sort of fine. Like it's not a BAPIP thing. It's something else. He just, he has to keep hitting home runs at the clip he's been doing. And I think he can't. Yeah, no, I, I like the pick. I find the profile very interesting because of what you said. I'm glad you brought up the pull rate and over 50% pull rate. Like that's that's what we want to see. If, you, if you're not going to hit the ball all that hard, we'll pull it and pull it in the air. The pop-up rate is weird. I don't really know what explains that. He, he has a pop-up rate of 15.5% this year. He's always had a high one, at least the last three seasons. Um, but clearly that is not holding him back. I think the Rays are going to have some decisions to make in that infield too, uh, which maybe means he finds himself a better home park. That's wishful thinking. That's no reason to keep a player. Um, but they, they have an interesting situation um, over in Tampa Bay. Um, your second pick, I should say your last pick, but your second of the back to back was like one that I, I had to like talk myself out of. I was like, man, Christian Yelich, like, I can't really take him here, can I? Because he's older and like the value is not crazy, but I really want to take him. I ended up taking Jaron Duran, and then I was glad you took him because we get a chance to talk about him. Is Christian Yelich like back? Like he looks awesome. I, he does. Uh, first of all, I, I will say Christian Yelich is older. And when I made this pick in the back of my head, I was like, am I really going to take like a 35 year old outfielder? He's only 31. Right. I thought he was way older than that. He well, he, so, he debuted really young. Yeah. I just I I in in my head he was much older than 31. Not that 31 is like super young, but he's not necessarily at a point where you're like, "Oh, he's done," right? Like it's, Well, that back is not like, 31. <laughs> that back no, is like that's 48. <laughs> but but I think there's guys like like just to use another player like Joey Votto has been really good since he came back from injury. But like Guys at his age having a great season, like it's really hard to trust it to continue. At at 31, Yelich could just be sort of back into his prime, more or less, right? Like he could have a couple more years that left. So is he back? I not really. I mean, I guess it depends on the context you'll get, but like the the fly ball rate is, you know, it's better than it was in his like early Miami years, but it's just sort of around his career fly ball rate. He's not like he isn't getting the elevation he was in the, you know, MVP seasons. Um, but everything else, I mean, it looks it looks pretty good. The BAPIP's a little high, but he's a high BAPIP kind of guy. His strikeout rate, which had, like, when things started to sort of fall apart for him 
started going downhill in 2020 and then got, you know, a little bit worse last year. It's like his strikeout rate really bloomed, uh, ballooned. Like it was up to 30.8 in 2020, 23.8 in 2021, 24.1 in 2022. It's down to 21.5%. Now, before that stretch, 21.5% would have been the worst of his career since his rookie season. So it's still not down to where you you want it to be necessarily, but it's below his career average. And so I like that's a really positive sign. Um he is I I guess he's back. I don't I don't know what else to say. I mean, he's he's got the the ISO is back up. It's again not up to where it was in those sort of MVP caliber seasons, but it's it's up well above where it was the last couple years. His ex-WOBA is actually higher than his WOBA right now because his barrel rate is really good. His hard hit rate is the second best of his career. So, I mean, there's a lot of really positive signs. It's, uh, yeah, I don't think he's back to being... Right now on the Rasmal Player Raider, he is, I think, ninth. I do not think he is a first-round pick next year. Like, I don't think he's that kind of back. But he was going, like, his ADP is, uh, goodness, what was it? 117, which is, you're talking, you know, in a 12-teamer, you're looking at the end of the 10th round, and he is way better than a late 10th-round pick. And I don't see a ton of reason to think that he can't keep this up. I don't either. I wish the lineup behind him was a little bit better. I, yeah, I know he's been leading off a lot, which, you know, for fantasy managers, you know, not great. Um, for a player like Christian Yaku, maybe, maybe we want to see a lot more diversification of the stats, right? A lot more RBI. Um, right now on the season, he is at 46, which actually isn't as low as I thought. He's scoring a lot of runs, stolen over 20 bags. The batting average looks great. I think Christian Yelich is the player that I would point people to for if you ever wonder like why I bring up fly ball rate and pull rate so much um, uh, with almost every player. Why is it like the first thing, one of the first things that I look at that and barrel rate really look at Christian Yelich's best season the, his is ridiculous outlier season where he won MVP and he had 40 or 36 home runs. Nope. Where is it? 44 home runs. Sorry. 36 the year before 44 home runs that season in 2019. He had a fly ball rate of 28.1%, which isn't even like crazy, but it's it's above it's well above league average. And he had a pull rate of 35.8. For his career, Christian Yelich's fly ball rate is 16.8%. And his pull rate is 31.6%. So like his one outlier season, what was the what, what two numbers really stood out? <laughs> well, his pull rate was a lot higher and his fly ball rate was a lot higher. And if you start to see that from a player like Yelich, it gets exciting. Now, granted, the ground ball rate is still pretty bad. The pull rate is also below league average, um, but he's still finding ways to put it together. I love the pick. I'm glad you took him. Got a chance to break that down there in Christian Yelich. Before we get into my final pick of this draft, we're going to take one last break. We'll be right back. All right, folks, welcome back uh, to the Keep or Cut podcast. Uh, I want to give a quick rundown of our draft so far. We're drafting players based on their keeper value going forward, considering their NFBC ADP from this uh, current season. In round one, I took Mitch Keller. Chad then took Jonah Heim and Alexis Diaz back-to-back. I took Cattell Marte and Jaron Duran back-to-back. Chad took... Josh Naylor and Brian Bayo. 
I then took Yandy Diaz and Carlos Estevez, and then Chad just talked about Isak Paredes and Christian Yelich. So that left my catcher position that I needed to take. It's this like building up to this moment because we mentioned it at the beginning of the show. Who is the other mystery catcher? And it is Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy is playing absolutely positively out of his mind this season. Now it should be said that the reason why Chad didn't take him earlier, it's not that Chad thinks Jonah Heim is better than Sean Murphy. It's that he basically gets another 10 rounds of value by keeping Jonah Heim at an ADP of 236 versus Sean Murphy at an ADP of 113. However, if Sean Murphy continues this level of play, which I think he can, I, I've been in on Sean Murphy. I think he hits the ball hard enough. He barrels the ball enough and he's in such a ridiculous lineup. I mean, you want to say Jonah Heim's lineup is great. Look at the Braves. Um, and I, th- I think he can be a, a top 50 player and ultimately give me that value at 112 anyway. Um, Sean Murphy's barrel rate right now is 19.4%. The beginning of the season, like after the first couple of weeks, it was like, uh-oh, this is like a timeshare situation with Travis Darno. Like, why did they even trade for Sean Murphy? What's going on here? <laughs> that has not been an issue. I know Darno has dealt with a couple of injuries. I think he had a concussion or something like that. Murphy is, is not only the clear-cut catcher in Atlanta. He is one of their best players, and it's why he's, I believe, starting the All-Star game for the National League at catcher. So, Sean Murphy, it's not tremendous value, to Chad's point. You're not getting a ton of value here. I probably wouldn't keep him in most keeper leagues, to be honest with you, because I'd have other options. But had to take a catcher. I think he's the next best value, even though he was one of the top catchers off the board. That's how good he's been. I mean, I think the top catcher off the board next year. Is oh, there next year, yeah. Before? I meant I meant this year going into yeah. the season because there were what, no, eight I, or nine I felt before. like this year people were late on him, and I do like I do have him in a bunch of places because I thought he was. I just thought people were way too late on a guy who like he's always been really good playing in a horrific lineup in a horrific park and we knew he was getting traded and it was like i just didn't understand what people were waiting for i think the process was like so much of his numbers from last season with oakland was because he eclipsed 600 plate appearances or or whatever ridiculous numbers it was i mean no other catcher was close and the argument was like he's not going to get that in atlanta but i mean First of all, he might not need it if he's that good, but also like, well, look well, how good he's he is. Only, he's going to play. He's only got 270 plate appearances. Like he's, he, and he's had, there's been, some, there's been some injury time and stuff like that. So like he's not going to get to 600 this year, but it's oh, not, not. going to be because of them not wanting him to, from what I can tell. It seems like it's just the injuries are going to, are going to cost him that time. But also 550 like, versus 600 doesn't zap his value. No, especially not right. a catcher where you're not like, it's not like you're taking somebody else who's going to get you 600 exactly. instead. I think he compensated and, too much for that. But I think he, he is going to, like, you know, I, I have been the guy who, like, fades the early catchers and drafts in general. And he's going to challenge me to think about just how early I'm willing to take a catcher next year. Because he's going to hit, like, he's going to hit 30 home runs. He is going to put up probably about 100 RBI and he's going to push 100 runs. He has a 306 average right now. If he puts up like a 330 90 100 type season even <laughs> with zero stolen bases, how, how early are you willing to take a catcher if yeah. like I don't know now now I'm actually wondering as I look at their ADPs like Heim is in a 12 teamer. Heim is basically a 20th round pick and Murphy is basically a 10th round pick. 
I don't actually know now that I'm looking at this that I think Haim is the better keeper value. Because I think you could be talking about a 10th round pick cost for Murphy when he's going in the, th- the third. Maybe he gets pushed up to the second. I think he will. I think it's some format. In two catcher leagues, we saw that with Perez and, and Real Muto a couple of years ago where people were yeah. trying that that barrel, double barrel catcher, whatever strategy. I, I don't endorse you know, it, but I, I don't endorse <laughs> either. But like, I think he could be a second, third round ADP. And if Haim moves up from the 20th to, let's say, the 10th round, I don't know that a 10 round ADP gain to, to the 10th round, like a 10 round gain to the 10th round is not necessarily, I'm not saying that necessarily, that is less valuable than a seven round gain that takes you up to the second or third round. Yeah, Does that I, make sense? I, yes, 100% makes sense. And I also just, I trust the skills with Murphy more, right? I mean, like, well, that, I, if I have to gamble true. on one, because if you're paying a 10th for Heim next season, going going into draft season, you're, you're taking a pretty big risk there. We're talking about him as a keeper for a 20th. I, I have no interest in drafting him next season as a 10th. In single right. catcher leagues, maybe I, th- I would rather have that keeper price on Heim just because, you know what, I'll just take one guy super late, forget about it, as opposed to heavily investing in catcher, right? Um, but... I'm with you. That there might be, might so. be more I value think, there. I think in a one catcher league, even you tell me yeah. I can have, I can give up my tenth round pick and have Sean Murphy locked in as my starting catcher. I think, I think I messed up this draft from the very <laughs> beginning. My first pick was wrong. We need I like to do it again. I, you know <laughs> the, what? We, we could negotiate a trade. Entire, yeah, if we did the entire draft again and I took Murphy there. Every other pick would be exactly the same, except you would take Heim instead of Murphy at the end because there's exactly. no other option at the catcher position. Like I would I, uh, I hold up. Like I don't, I don't know. Like who else would you even consider? Oh, oh, there's no one. There, there, I mean, there's literally yeah. no because we like, ruled out rookies. Board. That's what makes this hard. Well, that's true. I I pulled I put together a draft board and like you know at, at relievers I was looking at like. Um, Hunter Harvey, I think, is an interesting option at reliever. At starting pitcher, I've got Dane Dunning. We talked about Tyler Wells before. Braxton Garrett, uh, Bailey Ober, not a rookie, probably could have been taken. Zach Eflin, not a rookie, probably could have been taken. Um, I'm honestly wondering already if I should have taken Justin Steele over Brian Bayo. Like, there's a lot of options at starting pitcher. In the outfield, looks interesting. That's another name to throw out there. Yeah, in the outfield. Jared Kelnick, not a rookie anymore, and, and he's he is an interesting name. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has been way outperforming his draft price. Man. Brian De La Cruz, Jorge Soler, like there's a bunch of guys there. And middle infield, I I don't is is Geraldo Perdomo, is he a rookie? I don't know. Um, but he's been more valuable in his draft costs. Nolan Gorman, I don't believe is a rookie anymore. Bryson Stott is not a rookie. Jonathan India. Hassan Kim, Luis Arise. Like, there's a bunch of guys, although I guess he'd be corner infield. And then a corner infield, you got like Jake Berger, you got Yandi, you got Justin Turner way outperforming his value. Um, I believe Ezekiel Duran used up his rookie eligibility last year. I think I'm so not too. positive and on that. Uh, Perdomo like, did as well, by the way. Did he? Yeah. So, like, my point being, I had literal lists of players <laughs> at every position. And a catcher, I wrote down Hyman Murphy, and I was like, that's it. Yeah, I'll get, I one. don't know. Like <laughs> I got, I'm getting one of the two and I have, like I'm going through, I created a list where I took the last two months, like February, March ADP from NFBC. 
and the current Raswell player raider. And I created a diff column. And like, I'm scrolling through that right now, looking for catcher names, just to see are there any other catchers who are meaningfully outperforming their draft value. And I think the answer is, is just no. Like, and I can't, I can't even think of like, who's a name I should like search for just to see where they show up on here because there just aren't catchers performing that well. There's not. I mean, I, I'm going to throw the Homer name out there just so that he's on people's radars. I mean, like if you're if you're in a deep two catcher league and this guy is your C2, I don't think you're in trouble. And that's Connor Wong. He's part of the Mookie Betts trade. The barrel rate is 10% so far. Um, and, and really, the reason I bring him up is he's not doing much with the stick. He's been a little clutch for them, but he, he's not doing much with it. But he's going to get the play time um, because he is a wizard behind the dish and has an absolute cannon. Um, so Red Sox offense has been pretty good. Connor Wong has been playing more and more. He's been stringing some nice games together. Um, he's he, but when it comes to putting him on a on a list, he cannot be a third name behind Hyman Murphy because it's just if the next name is Connor Wong, then there's no next name. There's there's no. nothing to w- add. Wong, to that list. Wong's current Rasball player raider is 500. Yeah, it sounds about right. So it's like okay, I guess he's next. Um, you know, he's a rookie, but Yiner Diaz, like even he, like maybe. You could oh, see I guess Wong didn't because... lose it next year. Lose it last year. Yeah. I just huh. like, there's, I, I don't know. Then you look at like, you know, Varsho is way underperforming his draft price. MJ Melendez, Ad- same thing. Adley Rutschman, way underperforming his draft price. He hasn't even been sure. bad. He's just been way underperforming his draft price. It's not worth it. Like, yeah. So I just, I mean, I don't know. I don't see. I didn't see any other options of catcher. Yeah, the value is either you have one of those two guys, or you you have been stashing a prospect like Alvarez for for some time now, or Bo Naylor, who I brought up as a name that I wanted to consider, but was a rookie. Um, if you haven't been stashing one of those guys, and you didn't have Heimer, you didn't have Murphy, you're probably not keeping a catcher next year because they're either too expensive um, or they're just simply not worth it. Uh, which I guess is the same thing as being too expensive. So uh, there's your draft, folks. There's our Keeper League All-Stars for the first half of the season. And, and again, it's not just the first half, and it's not we're not predicting a second half. We like these guys at their values. Um, my team, Sean Murphy, catcher. Yandy Diaz at corner infield. Cattell Marte at middle infield. Jaron Duran in the outfield. Mitch Keller at starting pitcher. And Carlos Estevez at relief pitcher. Chad had Jonah Heim at catcher. Josh Naylor at corner infield. I almost said the wrong nailer. There are so many nailers and another one just got drafted. Another one. Um, Isak- you know, I'm so mad. I'm so mad at Oakland for drafting him. Cause I just wanted, <laughs> I was three. so excited about the possibility that in a couple years we could have a guardians lineup where a third of the hitters are <laughs> nailer brothers. And I don't know if anyone in the Oakland front office is listening, you trade him to Cleveland. Now. Yeah, let's go. Let's get that done. <laughs> um, so Josh Naylor, Josh Naylor um, at the corner infield spot. Isak Parides in middle infield. Christian Yelich in the outfield. Brian Bayo at starting pitcher. What a great pick. Pick of the draft. And Alexis Diaz as his closer. Folks, let us know in a review. Which team do you like more? Who are your Keeper League All-Stars? Give us some reviews on Apple Podcasts. Follow Chad at, at Chad Young. He's worth following. I'll use Twitter at some point in the next couple of years at PP Baseball. <laughs> And you can follow the show at at keep or cut. Thanks for listening. And we'll get you next week.